0: to you about this morning. Today, as I mentioned, is an exciting day because I have the honor and privilege of introducing you to our two newest staff members and their uh, significant others, their spouses. So Brian and Amber, would you come and join me up here? And Brad and Carly, would you come and join me as well? Come on up here. And uh, I think I told both of you to have about 15 minutes each of, prepare, right? No, I didn't do, yeah. You come on over here. I'm going to invite you to over here. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, we all, I always... I try not to get outside the boundaries, so we'll move over here. There is a boundary they give for me, so yeah, so hopefully this is, are we, we're good, all right, we're good. Well, I want to introduce you today, if you haven't met them already, uh, to, and, and this, this, again, is some, some, a face that would be familiar to many of you, uh, because he grew up in this church, but to others of you, this, he's new, and so uh, Brian, uh, this is Brian Quaid, and he is going to be acting as our, not acting, you're just going to do it, right? <laughs> (laughs) our uh, worship pastor uh, from here on out, so we're excited to have him. We're more excited to have Amber here today. We had the opportunity to visit the other night, and uh, I I really encourage you guys get to know Brian and Amber if you don't know them already. Uh, You're going to love them, and, and haven't you appreciated his ministry to us so far already? So thank you. Thank you. And then a few weeks ago, we announced the addition. We're really excited about this as well. Our new youth and college pastor, Brad and Carly Clough, are here. So, welcome, Brad and Carly. They're here. And uh, Brad and Carly are now here permanently, so uh, you're stuck with us, uh, but we're glad they're here. They actually moved into the Parsonage across the street, so uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, anybody wants to go visit them, have at it. Uh, no, but they're, they're settling in there. Uh, Brian and Amber are still in transition. They're coming to us from Chicago. And uh, they still have a house to sell, so pray for them that their house sells quickly. They've got a house to find here, so pray that they find a great house at a reasonable pr- reasonable price in Lincoln. Um, God does do miracles, so we're going to pray for that, uh, but we'll pray that that happens. And then there's lots of other details that we know that you guys have to work out to get here. So over the next few weeks, uh, Brian and Amber will be here. They're not going to be with us next week because they've got to go home and take care of some things. They'll be back the following week, um, and then we'll see how things go from there, but uh, we're We're going to play it by ear, but we're excited to have them here. And we're excited for both of these couples because actually, uh, this is a homecoming. So, not only a homecoming to Lincoln for Brian, but a homecoming to Nebraska for Brad. And we're going to turn this Texas girl, Carly, into a cornhusker. And so, we're glad that you guys are here. Give them a a hand. Yeah, what's that? The Lord does work miracles. He does work miracles. So, (laughs) yeah. So anyway, I want to encourage you, get to know these guys. We'll give you some opportunities to do that in the coming weeks, but let's, let's welcome our new staff to Connecting Point, so thank you guys. Oh, I forgot one thing. Brad, come back up here. Come back up here. This is very important. Uh, we just came through our district assembly, and uh, at our district assembly, Brad was, Brad could not be at our district assembly because he was helping to lead. How many kids? 50 high school students who are sensing a call of ministry on their lives And trying to figure out what that looks like Brad was a part of, of a group that were helping them kind of begin to work through that process And so he actually received his district minister's license And he wasn't there to receive it because he was busy doing ministry And so that's pretty awesome, but I want to present this to you this morning This is your district minister's license. So congratulations, man. Proud of you That's pretty awesome. It's official. He can now marry and bury and all of that stuff. So, Well, we're, uh, we're going to jump back into the series that we've been involved in for, this is actually the seventh week of this series. Uh, we're calling it What Mercy Did, and of course, we're talking about mercy. And over the past several weeks, our focus has primarily been upon how the mercy of God has impacted our lives personally, what mercy has done for us. Well, this morning, I want to shift our focus a little bit, and um, we're going to continue this way for, for another couple of weeks, but I want to shift our focus off of what mercy has done for us personally, and I want to talk to you about how God wants to use us to reach out and extend the mercy that he's extended to us into the lives of other people. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, This is a very, very famous passage of Scripture. It's part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the first section of this particular sermon that Jesus preaches is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. And there are actually uh, 12 attitudes that Jesus said we ought to be or have in order to live a blessed life. Now, who doesn't want to live a blessed life? Good, no hands. We all want to live a blessed life, right? And so Jesus says these are 12 attitudes that you ought to have or you ought to be in order to live a blessed life. Now, we're not going to look at all of them today. We're going to save that for another time. But I want to just focus on the fifth one. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One, one sentence. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, now, I want you to know, these are the words of Jesus. They're not mine, but I don't want you to miss what he's saying here, because he's saying exactly what he means. Jesus says, in order to experience the mercy of God in your own life, according to Jesus, he says... You must be an individual who shows mercy to other people. In other words, think of it like this mercy is one of those things that is intended to be way more like a river rather than a reservoir. You know what I'm saying, right? You know what? A reservoir is built in order to collect and contain, while on the other hand, rivers are meant to to feed and deliver. And so mercy is one of those things where we it is intended to be more like a river that flows through us rather than a reservoir where we just collect it for ourselves. And so here's what I want you to understand about God's mercy. When it comes to his mercy, you weren't created to simply to be a receiver of it, but rather you were created to be a conduit of God's mercy. A conduit of God's mercy where it just flows through you into the lives of other people. Uh, So far in this series, I've given you a couple of definitions of mercy. And I I don't know if you remember or not, but in week one, the first one was this. I said that mercy is simply undeserved forgiveness or unearned kindness. That's what mercy is. When someone forgives you and, and you don't deserve it, you haven't done anything to deserve it, that's mercy. Or when you experience kindness in your life, even though you did nothing to earn that kindness, that is mercy. Then a couple of weeks ago, I gave you another definition, a second one. It's, a, it's much simpler, and that is that mercy could be described simply as love in action. That's what mercy is. And we talked about the fact how when we read through Scripture, anytime we read the word love in Scripture, we could exchange that word for Mercy. Or any time we read the word mercy, we could just exchange it for love. They're the same thing. Mercy is love in action. In other words, mercy is more than a feeling that we have. Mercy is more than something that we say. Mercy is actually something that we do. Mercy is love in action. Now this morning, I want to give you a, a third definition for mercy, and this one's only one word. Now notice they just keep getting simpler and simpler and simpler. One word. But if you want to know what mercy really is, you could say that mercy is simply compassion. That's what mercy is. Mercy is simply showing compassion to other people. Now, that word compassion is an interesting word because most of the time when we use that word compassion or, or the word compassionate, we tend to use it as an adjective, right? We use it to describe somebody or something. So, for instance, I could say that Joe Cave is a compassionate man. I could say that. And it's true. He is. Uh, I could say that Sonia is a compassionate woman. And both of those, both of those statements would be true. But here's the deal. Originally, that word compassionate was never intended to be used as an adjective. Instead, it was almost always used as a verb. It was an action word. In fact, originally, that word wasn't even pronounced compassionate. It was actually pronounced compassion-ate. Compassion-ate. That, that, that suffix, ate, is a, is a, is a word that, that it, it takes something that is descriptive and it creates action out of it. it. To compassionate towards someone was the way that that word was used. To compassionate means to enter in to somebody else's pain. That's what that means. To, to, to compassionate is to enter into somebody else's pain. But, but not just for the purpose of feeling sorry for that person, which is what we often do. That, that actually, there's another word that describes that. That's called Pity which is way different than compassion. To to compassionate is entering into somebody's pain for the express purpose of lifting them out of that pain. That's to compassionate, which is way different than pity. In fact, the the difference between pity and compassion is like this. Let me just give you an example. Let's say that you heard that, that something had happened and I had lost my job. If you were to say, that's awesome, I didn't like him anyway, that's neither one of those, pity or compassion, that's just mean, all right? But but, but if you were to say, if you were to hear that I had lost my job, pity would be like, oh man, poor Doug, that stinks, I really feel for that guy. That's pity. Compassion, on the other hand, would say, oh man, I hurt for Doug, but then it would go beyond that and say, I wonder what I could do to help him. You see the difference between pity and compassion? Pity senses the pain, and it doesn't like the pain that the other person is in, while compassion senses the pain and then chooses to actually, on purpose, intentionally enter into that person's story and seeks to rely, re, or, or provide relief for the pain. That, that's not the only difference between pity and compassion, but, but, that, but that's mercy, okay? Okay? let's, Let's talk about what does mercy look like. Of course, Jesus gives us the best example over and over and over again. We find as we read through the scriptures, as we read especially through the gospel narrative, there are stories where Jesus would come across an individual whose life was broken, they were hurting, and Jesus, he didn't just feel pity for that person, but instead, over and over we read this where it says that Jesus had compassion on them. In other words, he stepped into their story in order to change their situation. And and in Mark chapter 1, there's a great example of this. This is one of my favorites. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to uh, Mark chapter 1. And I want to just begin reading with verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it says this. It says, "A, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. I mean, he got down on his knees. This is serious business. He begged him on his knees. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then notice what it says here. Again, there's these words. It says, Jesus, filled with compassion, he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, Mark says, the leprosy left this man and he was cured. Jesus, he sent this man away at once with this strong warning. He said, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, listen what the man does. Instead, he doesn't listen to Jesus. Instead, he went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside the lonely places yet the people still came to him from everywhere it's amazing how when it, when compassion is demonstrated how it attracts people people still came to Jesus from everywhere now now before we totally jump into this what i want to do is i want to talk to you for just a moment about leprosy, because I know that leprosy is not something that most of us are familiar with, but but in Jesus' day, leprosy was a common disease that was widespread. It was was something that there was no prevention for, there was no cure of. Leprosy was a terminal disease, and and it was a disease that, that not only killed the body, but first, it was a disease that killed the soul. Uh, And what I mean by that, it killed the soul because to be a leper was to be condemned to a life as an outcast. I mean, imagine this. When a person was determined to have leprosy, the first thing that would happen would be they would be forced to leave their families and live in isolation. According to the law, they had to wear certain clothes that would identify them as lepers so that people would avoid them when they saw them coming. They, They couldn't be touched by anybody else. I mean, imagine that. That in itself, imagine not feeling the touch of another human being for years and years and years and years. Imagine how terrible that would be. But I think what what probably had to be the worst of all was that leprosy was considered by the community to be an outward sign of some inward failure. In other words, people thought a person with leprosy had the disease because they deserved it. It was God's judgment upon them for some horrible sin that they had committed. And so this is why in the Old Testament, when the law is given, lepers were instructed not to go see doctors, but they were told to go see priests. This is why in the Old Testament, rather than being called unhealthy, they were called unclean, which sounds way more like a verdict than a diagnosis, doesn't it? Listen to what the law said concerning somebody with leprosy. This is from Leviticus chapter 13. It says, The leper must wear torn clothes, must let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out whenever they encountered anybody else, cry out, unclean, unclean. I want you to imagine this with me because this is the condition of this man who comes to Jesus. In, in, in order to protect the community from himself, we we're told that he has, to, he has to wear rags, he has to wear torn clothes, he, he has to wear this mask over his face, he, he, has to, he has to have his hair all messed up, and this was before it was cool to have your hair all messed up, yeah, he, had, he, was, he was in this dirty state. And he had to spend the rest of his life drawing attention to himself, you know, wearing, wearing, wearing rags, being dirty, have unkept care, keeping a mask over his face. Almost sounds kind of like a, a monster in a costume, right? He's in this state, and when, when, whenever he goes in public to, to make... The worst of it all, you know, whenever he goes in public, he has to shout at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean. And every time he shouts that, it's like he's saying, look at me, I'm a failure. Look, look, look at me, there's something wrong with me. Look at me, but stay away from me. Look at me, notice me. Understand there's something wrong with me, but whatever you do, don't reach out and touch me. Stay away from me because there's something wrong with me. You you see, unclean was his confession that there was something morally broken in his life that was his fault, and there was no hope of fixing it. He was destined to live a life as an outcast, to live and die alone. In fact, in the the next verse, in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 13, verse 46, it says this. It says, as long as he has the infection, which remember, there's no cure for this. So as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So, So leprosy was a complete banishment. It was a banishment from friends, a banishment from family, a banishment from the, the community. He, he wasn't allowed to go into the places even of worship. It was banishment from worship. Imagine that. And so in his mind, I can't imagine how he would feel that he would have to feel because he can't even go to worship that, that even, even his worship is unacceptable. He is so unacceptable that even his worship is distasteful to God. In other words, the only one who could help him, the the only place where there's hope, God himself has also rejected him in his mind. I just want you to understand the condition that this man is in. And, And so when we read this story, Mark tells us that there's this huge crowd that is following Jesus that day. And so you can imagine, as this guy comes into the crowd, and he's shouting out, unclean, unclean, everybody's parting out of the way because nobody wants to be touched by this guy, and and he, and he comes straight up to Jesus in the middle of the crowd, and Mark says that he falls on his knees, he looks at Jesus out of desperation, and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to notice what this man says to Jesus. He says, not if you are able, not if you're capable. He says, if you are willing. In other words, this guy's saying, I already know you can help me. The real question is, will you help me? What are you willing to do, Jesus? Are you you willing to help me, or are you just willing to feel sorry for me? And then leave me the way that I am. Listen, I I know in our culture, you know, leprosy is not an issue like it was in Jesus' day. But the sad reality is there are still people all around us who just like this leper are relegated to the outskirts of society. Right? Unfortunately, that's the case. This world is full of people or groups of people who others consider untouchable. You know know what I'm talking about, right? People who just don't quite measure up to the standard that we all expect. People who have been sent the message, there's something wrong with you, and there's nothing you can do to change it, and you don't belong with the rest of us. Unfortunately, the world is still full of people who find themselves in that same place. And just like this leper, they ask the same question Are you willing? They look at us, they look at the church, and they ask this question, are you willing? Are you willing to restore my dignity? Are you willing to help me find my life again? Are you willing to help me find peace in my life? If you're willing, you can relieve my hunger. If you're willing, you can relieve my loneliness. If you're willing, you can show me value and love and compassion and hope and mercy. If you're willing, You can show me what Jesus is like. The question that each of us must answer. And this, friends, is the question that I believe Jesus asks of us: is are you willing? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So so look at what Mark says, verse 41. Here it is again. This this is Jesus' answer. The man says, are you willing? Jesus, it says, filled with compassion. Mark says he reaches out and he touches, or reaches out his hand and touches the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Again, I I know because of our cultural differences, it's easy for us to miss the gravity of what Jesus is doing here, because most of us have never come in contact with a leper before. But what Jesus does is unthinkable. He he actually touches this leper. You you see, when when somebody touched a leper, there's only one of two things that could happen. Either they could get unclean, or in this case, the leper could get clean, (laughs) Those are the only two options. Either either Jesus is going to become unclean, or the man is going to be healed. Either this man will be healed, or Jesus himself will be impacted and infected by the man's uncleanness. And of course, we know the end of the story, this man was healed. But it makes me wonder, as I thought about this guy, as I just kind of marinated in this passage, I wonder how long it had been since anybody had touched him. I wonder how long it had been since anybody had even looked him in the eye. I wonder how long it had been since anyone had given him a hug or patted him on the back. I wonder how long it had been since anybody had wiped away his tears. How long had it been since anyone had even said something nice to this guy? I mean, mostly of what he heard probably were curses from people telling him to get out of the way. Or worse than that. He heard nothing, just the stares as people turned away and kept their distance from him. I can't even begin to imagine the impact of what Jesus did to the psyche of this man. Again, it says that Jesus was filled with compassion. In other words, Jesus entered into this guy's pain. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. He he, he didn't just talk to him. Or worse yet, talk about him. He, he didn't just say, oh, that poor guy, you, you know, so-and-so that down, down the street. He, it stinks for him, but don't go near him. No, he did something about it. He reached out his hand. He touched the man. I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. What, what I think is interesting about this story is that Jesus touched the man before he spoke to him. That, that interests me. It reminds me that it's not just enough to preach to people. We've got to reach out and touch them first. We've got to show the love of Jesus before we start talking about the love of Jesus. Hear me on this, folks. I think for most people, the problem is not that they haven't heard about the love of Jesus. The problem is they just haven't seen it from us yet. Listen, I'm convinced that people don't need to hear it as much as they need to see it. That they need to know that it's true. And the question that they have for us is, are you willing? Are you willing to reach out and touch me? Are you willing to step into my story? Are you willing to get a little bit messy? Are you willing to show me compassion? Kay Warren, in her book, Say Yes to God, says this about compassion. She says, compassion is simply making a decision. Compassion is not an emotion. Expressing compassion is a deliberate choice to embrace pain that is not your own. She goes on to say, we are most like Christ when we choose to offer the gift of our presence and we choose to absorb within ourselves the suffering of the least, the last, and the lost. And she closes by saying this, if you're looking for Jesus, that's where you'll find him, with the least, the last, and the lost. That this man, I believe he heard what Jesus was saying Because he'd already experienced what Jesus was doing. He he wasn't just hearing, I am willing. He experienced Jesus be willing. And in that moment, all of the sudden, years of sickness were healed in an instant. Years of loneliness were loved away by a single touch. And this ruin of a man was instantly restored in his body and in his soul. This, this broken, helpless, hopeless, desperate man could finally go home to his family, could finally come back into the community, all because Jesus was willing not just to say something, but to do something. There are, there are a couple of very interesting ironies in this story of the leper. The, the first one is found in verse 44. Mark tells us that after Jesus heals the leper, he tells him to go and show himself to the priest and to offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for his cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, the significance of what's taking place here is easy for us to blow past because the really exciting part has already happened. The guy's been healed. But this is a very significant piece of the story. I don't want you to miss what's going on here. So why does Jesus tell this man that he has to go to the priest and offer sacrifices? What is that all about? If you go to Leviticus chapter 14, chapter 13 we read from, and that was the instructions of how a leper is supposed to live. Chapter 14 says that if by chance a leper were to get healed, here's what he would have to do. Leviticus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. It says the priest is to slaughter the lamb, this lamb that the leper brought for sacrifice in the holy place where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. It goes on to say that the priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one being cleansed, and cleansed in this place, case of the leper. So on the lobe of the right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So what in the world is all that about, you know? The the blood and the lobe and the thumb and the toe. Well, if you back up a little bit further in Leviticus, to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 14 is the regulation for cleansing of the leper. Leviticus chapter 8, verses 23 through 24, tell us the regulation for ordaining priests. Listen to what it says. It says that Moses slaughtered the ram, he made a sacrifice, and then he took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then it says that Moses also brought Aaron's sons who were also being called into the priesthood, and he called them forward, and he put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on their thumbs and on their, and their big toes of their right feet. So, so what is the point? What, what, is the, what is the connection between these two? Here's the point that's being made. According to Scripture, Jesus is trying to help us understand whether you're a priest or a leper, it's only the blood that makes you clean. It doesn't matter what your lot is in life. It's the blood that cleanses the priest, and that's the same blood that cleanses the lepers. The same sacrifice that is made for the priest and what makes him holy and acceptable is the exact same sacrifice that has been made for the leper to make them holy and acceptable. What it means is is that there is nobody that is so unclean that they are beyond cleansing. Oh, wait, but at the same time, there is nobody that is so righteous and so perfect and so good that they don't need cleansing. You see, we're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter who you are, a priest or a leper, whether everything in life seems to be working out or everything in life is falling apart. The bottom line is we all need a savior. We all need Jesus. We all need that living hope that we sung about. All of us are in need of a Savior. Now, now, now here's the challenging part of this story for us. And and I want to give you a a couple of different challenges, really. First of all, I want to challenge you to begin to think about, and I think we need to do this as a church, who are the untouchables in our world? Who are the untouchables in our world? The the second challenge is this. Once we identify who the untouchables are, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to reach out and to touch them and show them the love of Jesus? Because Jesus is still willing. The question is not, is he willing? The question is, are you willing? Am I willing? Because Jesus still, his heart is still the same. It has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his heart is still that he wants to reach out and touch and cleanse and heal broken, hurting people. The only difference is now, instead of him doing it in bodily form, his vehicle is us the church, the body of Christ. his, His design is to touch his people through his people. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We carry the presence of Jesus. We're conduits. We carry the presence of Jesus into other people's pain, into other people's suffering in order to lift them out of it. You see, the question is not, is Jesus still willing? The question is, are we? He still wants to touch the world through us so we ask ourselves the question, who are the lepers today? Who who are those who are physically distressed because of sinful choices that they've made? Who, Who are the people that society has declared to be unclean or unworthy? Who are the people that were tempted to look at them kind of sideways and go, I wonder what that guy did to cause that to happen in their life? And the reality is, The majority of these folks are not going to just walk through the doors of our church because in their hearts they're convinced they're not welcome. They don't think they belong here. That they're not worthy. It's interesting because as recent as just a couple of hundred years ago, it was very common practice when a church was built to include what they called a hagioscope. A Hagioscope was this little window, only a few inches wide. It was about eye level, and it was built on the outer wall of the church. And sometimes, sometimes it was referred to as the leper's squint. And it was built so that people who were considered lepers, undesirables, who weren't allowed in the church because the church was afraid that the sin of these folks would rub off on them, and so they weren't allowed in the church, and so they built this little window about eye-level, about six inches wide, where they could stand outside of the church and peer in in order to hear the good news that's being preached. God forgive us. They they weren't welcome in the building. They could just stand outside and get a glimpse of what's going on inside. Now, now, obviously and thankfully. The days of hagioscopes are gone. They are no more. But it still makes me wonder, who are the people who are standing outside, afraid to come into the building? Because they they think that they don't belong, or they think that they're going to get judged, or they they wonder what's going to happen to them, or what people are going to think about him. I mean, they're, they're curious about what's going on, but they wait outside. Maybe they've heard the muffled strains of our worship songs playing on the radios of our cars. Or maybe they've seen that Bible laying on your desk or that religious quote that you posted on social media. Maybe they've seen the CP logo on the back of your car, and so they know you go to church, but in their minds, they're pretty sure that they wouldn't be welcome there because you've kept them at a distance. You've seen the brokenness of their lives, and inside you felt bad for them. You hated that they're in that condition. You've you've pitied them, but the truth is you've never had compassion for them. You've never reached out and touched them. Listen, this is what Jesus told us to do. Not just to identify those people, but to reach out and touch them, to enter into the narrative, to enter into the story, to enter into the suffering. And not only to let them know that you see them, but to let them know that you care about them and that you are committed to walk with them. You're committed that through Christ,